this week on Crossing the Lane Lines. One parent whose youngster was in the culture of our program would tell another parent about us. They didn't come down. They, they, it was word of mouth. They called down. So my kid is safe. My kid is, I'd rather have my kids with the Tiger Shards where Mrs. Conningham daily checking homework than out on the corner with the gangs. We did sell a part of being certified as lifeguards and getting summer jobs. We sold a part of getting out of the hood. We sold it to the participant, and they sold it to their parents. Getting out of the hood was a major part of our program. What we wanted to do is have our young people see folks who look like them in a sport <laughs> that people who look like them were not supposed to be in. In his more than 40 years of coaching, he built an elite age group swim program in North Philadelphia from the ground up, produced two junior national finalists, helped countless athletes get swim scholarships to prestigious colleges and universities. He was the first man of African descent to coach swimming in the NCAA, first at Temple University, then later at LaSalle. He was not only a swim coach, but a father figure, mentor, and friend to many young men and women that swam for him. And his name is Malachi Cunningham. Today, on a special episode of Crossing the Lane Lines, we'll speak to him about his career, his triumphs, challenges, and the advice he'd give to young coaches. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. On Tuesday, April 13th of 2021, Anthony Nesty added women's head coaching duties after three successful seasons as the head coach of the men's team. Nesty, who swam at Florida and was a gold medalist in the 1988 Olympics, has been on staff with the Florida Swimming and Diving Program since joining as an assistant coach in 1999. At present, he is the only D1 head coach of African descent. Nesty's achievements are the result of his hard work and dedication to helping those young men and women reach their full potential. Moreover, he is the living embodiment of what black swim coaches can do if given an equal chance on the elite level. But all of Nesty's achievements would not have been possible were it not for a trailblazer named Malachi Cunningham. Coach Cunningham has a resume that extends forever. A former competitive swimmer from North Philadelphia, he went on to South Carolina State on a swim scholarship where he shattered records. Afterward, he went on to found the St. Joseph's Prep Tiger Sharks and later went on to coach the women's swim teams at both Temple University and LaSalle. Coach Malachi Cunningham, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Yeah, you did a great intro. I I should have written it, but thank you. Coach Cunningham, it's a great honor to have you on the show. I always ask my guests this question because I feel it sets up to the discussion that follows. When did you first get involved in swimming, and how did you progress first as an elite age group swimmer, then later at South Carolina State? Uh, my, my whole path was linear, pretty much straight. Uh, I chose the sport, and then the, the sport embraced me. 
Uh, fortunately, back in the day, Philadelphia Parks and Recreation had a citywide, we're talking seasonal, summertime, a citywide learn to swim program, which was very, very strong. I learned to swim at the community recreation center near my home. Uh, the instructor was Dan Corbett. Uh, I guess I was around nine, nine years of age. can't remember, but it's pretty close to. Then from learning to swim at the center, Dan Corbett had a novice summer swimming team. I progressed from a non-swimmer to the swimming team. Uh, got pretty good at that level. We won a few city championships. Dan Corbett still in my in, in my life as a coach and as a mentor. And uh, from that step, uh, I guess when I'm around 13 years of age, still only swimming at uh, summertime. I started swimming in the middle schools, did pretty good there. Here again, Dan Corbett steps in and says, you need to advance. We have a program for you. Uh, Temple University had a community pool on site, which was really not related to the university, but it was on campus, called Temple Area Pool. Temple Area Pool was um, run by probably one of the influential people in my life who was Royal Morris, besides my dad. Royal Marsh ran a program, an after-school program, more of aquatics than competitive swimming. Yet, luckily enough, here I go, I'm in the right place at the right time. Philadelphia school system had an after-school swim clinic. We called it the clinic. Any person who was interested in competitive swimming and getting a workout, you, we went there Monday through Fridays. It was free had to be free or we would not have gone Mondays through Friday from, I think, 3.30 to 4.30, and we trained in competitive swimming. When that part of the day was over, we kind of hung around, stayed at the pool, and Real Marsh, for whatever reason, he introduced us to the real world of, of aquatics, which was junior life-saving, working with the handicapped there, and moved on. Now Royal Marsh says to me, well, you're doing pretty good at this high school swimming. I placed in the high school championships. One one of the few black swimmers who did, and I was fortunate to do that. He moved me on and says, you need to go to a more competitive site, which was North French, I'm sorry, Christian Street, YMCA. Christian Street was an all-black team in South Philadelphia. I went down there, swam with them Y team for about a year and a half. Then from there... Ivan Wallace, coach at the Y, says you need to move on. He directed me to Vesper Boat Club, coached by an Olympian, George Breen. And I swam and trained with uh, Vesper Boat Club for about two years. That was very, very challenging. Vesper Boat Club had Olympians on the team. I was certainly not Olympian. I was not even uh, a great age group swimmer, but I could hold my own. And uh, I swam there for about a year and a half. As would have it, people were in my life at the right place at the right time. John Green was a swimmer at, let's go back, he swam at Christian Street Y. He matriculated to South Carolina State College, and they were recruiting swimmers from the north. Uh, so I was looking at Hampton, Howard, and then South Carolina State gets into the picture. The recruiting trips to Howard did not feel comfortably comfortable 
at Howard basically because I didn't have the money to hang with those folks there. I'm being realistic. I knew when they were going away on weekend trips, I barely had enough money to get a sandwich. Howard was not for me. Hampton University was a bit too far and it was too cold. So I go to South Carolina State, sight unseen on the word of my friend John Green. Well, here again, I was lucky. I was fortunate. I loved South Carolina State, matriculated. I got a marvelous education, some marvelous mentors at South Carolina State University. I got a marvelous degree, an outstanding degree, health and physical education and biology. But more importantly, more importantly, I met a young lady from Charleston, South Carolina. Her name was Olivia Hill. And I was smitten. We married, and we've been together for 54 years this July. So that linear, straight to the this, to the that, to that, worked out for me. I thought Carolina State was the best place for me. I'm wondering if you can take us back to 1969 and walk us through the founding of the Tiger Sharks. Okay. Well, it goes back to 1968 when um, I'm graduation school, and Royal Morris, here again, I, I said to you, at, at Temple Area Pool, Mar- Royal Morris was my mentor, and now he he also worked the school board, Philadelphia School System, and he got a promotion. So he was leaving Temple Area Pool. I'm this new, uh, fresh out of college, teaching health and phys ed in Philadelphia, and he says, Malachi, I'm going to retire from Temple Area Pool, this community pool, not necessarily competitive swimming, but offering an aquatics program to our community, uh, inner city community. He said, I'm retiring, and what do you say about taking taking over? I did not want to do it, but I owed it to Royal Morris, and after thinking over, my wife convinced me that was a thing to do. So we go we take over a temple area pool. The clinic is still functioning from uh, 3.30 to 4.30 during the daytime, competitive swimming, which I had nothing to do with. At 4.30, now Malachi is on board in my facility offering an aquatics program. For whatever reason, some of the swimmers from the clinic, remember they're from all over the city, high school young people, for whatever reason, they stayed at the facility after practice. We became, and I can't find the correct word for it, but I'm going to try. They and we became somewhat of a boys' club. It was not just about competitive swimming. They stayed around, so now I'm moving them into life-saving and the like. So after about a year of not competing but training under someone else, they and my wife Olivia suggested maybe we should start a swim team. Um I was informed at St. Joe's Prep School, which was uh, an all-white, basically predominantly white uh, parochial school about four blocks from Temple Area Pool, was going to have a competitive, I'm sorry, a recreation, recreation program after school, and they wanted a swim component. And I went over, wrote a proposal, and um, they said, okay, we would like the Tiger Sharks to start and, and use our facility and uh, we stayed there for, gosh, a good six six years between between Tupper Area Pool and St. George Prep 
that was the, that was the Tiger Sharks. That's how we started out. That's how we started out. And uh, we we you know we we did a pretty good job with it. We did a pretty good job with it. Um, I don't know if you want me to go further about the concepts of the program. I sure they can do that. But uh, that that was that was our start. That was our start. When black parents think of sports as an opportunity for growth, swimming isn't what comes to mind. It's incredibly difficult to earn a living from swimming, as we both know. How did you convince the parents of some of your kids from the Tiger Sharks that it was important for them to learn to not only swim, but also swim proficiently? Great question. Um, 75% of my youngsters, 75%, if not more, I'm going to be modest and say 75% of my youngsters came from single-parent homes. We were definitely in a city, without question. They could not give a hoot about competitive swimming. But what they loved, what they loved was these two teachers, a gym teacher and a math teacher who taught in that community of North Philadelphia at Strawberry Mansion High School, had a program at this facility that was in walking distance of the youngsters' home. And more importantly, it was not about the swimming. It was about my son was going to be involved in activity five days a week, six days a week, rather, including Saturdays, where they knew their young person we would be safely. At that time, we started the program. Philadelphia had a lot of gang stuff going on. So to have your youngster safely in the program was marvelous. I did not sell any parents. The young people sold their parents. I offered to you, this sounds crazy, I offered to you, offered to you I often did not meet did not meet 60% of my parents because they were trying to survive. They were working two, three jobs, trying to maintain a house. So, so <clears throat> crazy enough, I'm going to say, if you have a product, the product maybe can sell itself. In our situation, we were safe. A reservation for these young people to go to, and they told their parents. One parent whose youngster was in the culture of our program would tell another parent about us. They didn't come down. They, they it was word of mouth. They called down, so my kid is safe. My kid is. I'd rather have my kids with the tiger shards where Mrs. Conningham daily is checking homework than out on the corner with the gangs. We did sell a part of being certified as lifeguards and getting summer jobs. We sold a part of getting out of the hood. We sold it to the participant, and they sold it to their parents. Getting out of the hood was a major part of our program. What we wanted to do is have our young people see folks who look like them in a sport (laughs) that people who look like them were not supposed to be in. For example, we swam against Howard University. Yanni Schamberger was one of my first group of Tiger Sharks from North Philadelphia, matriculated at Howard University, graduated from Howard University, and became Howard's swimming camp, swimming coach, I'm sorry. So we swam against Howard University. We swam, we went to Hampton University for these kids to see black kids on a campus who looked like them, matriculating, but also there was a black team in the city of Hampton, predominantly a black team, in the city of Hampton 
swimming team that sponsored the swimming meet. So we had that was a double whammy for us. We got to be on on the campus of, of Hampton University. We got to see other people who look like them in the sport of swimming. This was sold to the parents. Why would not a parent want his kid to get out of the hood? Why wouldn't he want him to walk around the college campus? Maybe dream, maybe think ahead. We also, a high, a high part of our program was traveling to other cities where they were, I would read about or hear about outstanding black swimmers. Now, the black swimmer, swimmer usually swam for a a white team, but that was all right. If they were hosting a meet in Pittsburgh or Cleveland, Ohio, we traveled out there to that meet so my kids could see this kid, this, this person that looks like them excelling in the sport, excelling in the sport. Then, here again, everything is the dream, 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 and see more than what you see in North Philadelphia. So we did the black schools. So now we started getting faster, being more proficient in the sport of swimming. So now we travel to meets at Yale and Harvard and Princeton and Columbia and Duke and doing an outstanding job in c- competing at those meets. In, some, in most of the cases, winning an age group or a high point, we excel in that, in that way. Okay, how do I sell the parents? The program sold the parents. Remember, more than likely, the parents never came down to the program. My kids' parents were my parents. My parents never saw me swim. They they couldn't get off of work. They didn't have the they didn't have the car or the money to travel to, to meets. My swimmers were Malachi. So let me go a further. The main breakthrough was we had five of our male athletes. We call them the Texas Five. They got scholarships to Texas Southern University to swim for Johnny Means. After that, we exploded. We exploded. I wasn't just talking it. The kids were walking it. You go to college, black kids go to college, going to Houston, Texas on a swimming scholarship. Wow. From there, we had approximately 90, I'm sorry, 39 more scholarship swimmers to go off from our program over the course of the next few years. The, now, let me, let me characterize this. If, indeed, you stayed to the program through your senior years, 39 Tiger Sharks went on to college. We had other other young people who, who started the program, didn't make it. Some of those folks always also went to college, but we don't claim them. But maybe we set the fire in them to go to college, thinking it was achievable. Um, one of our swimmers, Anthony Moore, uh, here again, I'm selling the program to parents by word of mouth, by newspaper articles. One of our swimmers, Anthony Moore, he was the black, the first black Philadelphia swimmer of any club, of any club, to make junior nationals two times. So now you got a kid from Tiger Sharks going to junior nationals, and that was a deal for us. Junior nationals, well, so now other clubs, and we were not the only club in Philadelphia, uh, NC City Club. Now, they saw if Anthony can go to junior nationals, maybe we could do it. Well, not only did we inspire our parents, our swimmers, but hopefully I inspired other coaches in Philadelphia who were working the same type of person I, I had. So so we, that's, how, that's how we influenced 
the parents. I know it was a long story, but that's the deal. Although you had a lot of success with your age group program, it wasn't without its challenges. I remember reading about issues that your team encountered from other swimmers at meets, when white swimmers would tell your kids that they didn't belong in a sport, or when meet officials would call you at the last moment and tell you that your kids couldn't swim because their entries had been received too late. Now, of course, this is during the late 60s and the early 70s. Martin is dead. Brother Malcolm is dead. Our folks are still catching hell after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed. How did you manage not only your club, but also the challenges your team personally faced as an all-black swim club? Okay, great. Well, let me, let me, let me start at the end. I am proud to say, I'm off the track a little bit, I'm proud to say we were never an all-black swimming team, and we never wanted to be. We were always inclusive. I'm kind of not answering, but this is important for us to say. You see, when I, as a high school young person at Tupper Area Pool, I had my first opportunity to interact with white swimmers my age. I'm in an all-black community. I didn't know any white folks unless they owned a store or was an insurance man. So I got a marvelous education swimming with these white guys my age, we became friends. We became competitors. The training and an interaction with these white uh, swimmers was a great learning experience for me. Now, I, I said to you, at one time I went to Vesper Boat Club. Had I not, had I not had the opportunity to interact with these white swimmers of my my peers, I would not have the courage or have had the courage to go to Vesper Boat Club. To be one of maybe three black kids in the pool with, with 45. So our philosophy, our meaning my wife and ours, has always been to be inclusive in our Tiger Star program. We never were always black. We didn't want to be always black. When I started out the program, I had approximately 10 swimmers. Of those 10 swimmers, four were white. They didn't live in our community, but they valued what we were doing, and they came down to community. All right, so I'm going to try to be more specific in answering your question. In dealing with tiger sharks swimming in inner city swimmers, we had to prepare them certainly physiologically, but we had to prepare them psychologically. So let me be specific. We knew that we had to have our young people disciplined in stroke, turns, techniques. We knew Mm, that sometimes maybe an overzealous referee would detour our young people for something that we did not see, for something we thought, thought not to be correct. It had happened a few times. It did happen a few times, and our young people were ready. We actually we had great skills. The coaches, other coaches, and myself, we pushed doing things right. Okay, so let me let me move on a little bit. Psychological warfare. We knew that behind the blocks, a swimmer or an official, a timer, might have a, mm, mm, a, a pointed negative statement in earshot of our African-American, our swimmers who are black and brown. We know that that would happen, and our kids were ready to ignore it. To let it go. 
to be about what they were about, which was winning that heat, winning that race, and shutting people up in that manner. They were also aware if something got out of their hand, let your coach handle it. Come to Malachi, come to Mr. Cunningham. We, we can handle it. We can handle it in a professional way. We'll handle it in an adult way. It is our responsibility. You see, these young people were mine. These young people were mine. I, I, I highlighted to you a number of times that we very seldom see, saw parents because they just couldn't afford to come. Okay. We pushed doing things correctly. Now, some of the uh, – we got the look. Oftentimes, we went, when we entered a meet or facility, we got that look. As an African-American, as a brown person, you know what that look is. It was an unwelcoming look, and uh, we chose to ignore it. We knew that look was there, whether in the swimming pool, whether in a store, whether in a facility. If you're black or brown, you know what the look is. We chose to ignore the look. We talked about the look. When we went to Annapolis, Annapolis to swim in the meet, and knew we'd be only people of color there, we knew we'd get the look. Our kids were ready for the look, didn't, didn't hesitate, didn't inhibit their participation or their, or their enjoyment of being in that facility. Behind the blocks, do what you're here to do. When we went to a facility, a swim meet, and we got the look, and folks moved away from us where we were, where we were sticking out a spot in the stair stands, we didn't care. We were there, for, we were there to swim. Now, it's quite odd, quite odd. The faster we got, the more we challenged our competitors, the more races, races we won. We, we, we didn't see that look much, much more. We knew, the, look kinda, the look probably was there, but we didn't see it. We, we, we saw congratulations and talking and wanting to know how we trained and those kind of things. But we did we didn't encounter it. We didn't encounter Um I'm talking U.S. swimming thus far. Uh, let me talk college a little bit. Um, I I remember going, taking my uh, temple temple swimmers. We were after meet. We were over in New Jersey. And we went out to eat. You know, before we before we went back home, got on the bus, and we were at a restaurant. All white kids and and the coach. By the way, my Tiger Sharks, my Temple, and my Lasalle. Young people are very protective of me because I'm protective of them. We're, we're family. I, I, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you the culture that we created. That's the culture we created. So we're we ordering our food at the restaurant, and the waitress. Oh, I'm sorry. That the major D, whoever he comes over, and he's talking to the, to the swimmer. So you swimmer, so on and so forth. And he and he remarks, "Well, it's very nice of you to bring your bus driver in." Hmm. Of course, referring to me. And, and kind of took the air out of my swimmers. And I responded as I should have responded. And that was, oh, because I'm black, you assume I'm a bus driver? Didn't hesitate, didn't defer, didn't smile. And that was the deal. I told my young people, you got to confront things in an intelligent, classy way. And that's what I did. That's what I did. Um, another situation that happened to me a, <clears throat> let me see how I can say this. 
a swimming magazine that still exists. I wrote an article, and it was entitled Blacks in Competitive Swimming. I did a great amount of research, and it was a scholarly it was a scholarly piece that I sent in. Why was it scholarly? Because I knew that every word that I wrote would be dissected. And I wanted to be standards on merits, and I wanted to be strong, and I wanted to represent people of color, but I wanted those who were not of color to appreciate that which I was reading, writing. So I sent a scholarly piece. The, mag- the uh, piece is, uh, excuse me, printed in a magazine, I think every three months. And when I read it, for whatever reasons, the second page was not included in this edition. So I contacted them, and they apologized. And three months later, they put the <clears throat> excuse me, they put the article "Blasting Competitive Swimming" in its entirety in their next edition of the magazine. So I asked myself. Was it racism or was it a mistake? Well, I leave that to you to decide. All right, we're ready to move on to the next one. <laughs> so you've had success with the Tiger Sharks, and folks are starting to take notice of this team from North Philadelphia, and you in particular. Can you take us through the process of how you ended up at Temple University coaching the women's swim team? I mean, you were the first black man to ever coach either the men's or women's team, correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Oh, for, uh, <clears throat> picture, I started out my first statement to you. Everything in my life as it relates to swimming has been linear. It seemed like it was just supposed, supposed to happen. Supposed to happen. Well, Temple Area Pool, that's when I really was committed to competitive swimming. Temple Area Pool on a Temple campus. I started out swimming there with the clinic. Then, as years went on, I graduated from South Carolina State. I returned to Philadelphia. I became an adjunct swim instructor at Temple University. Also, I was the aquatics director for the NC2A summer sports program at Temple. So those folks, at, oh, and by the way, I got my master's there. Hopefully I said that. A temple. So, in essence, I, I, I was a temple. I was a temple man. Um, I was friendly with the two coaches at Temple, the men's and women's coaches. As a matter of fact, uh, when either had an away meet, my Tiger Sharks team, we were practicing Temple University's pool. So, Temple was home to me. Temple was home to me. Uh, this the head women's coach Sue Magan. She and I were friends, and uh, she needed an assistant. So I'm doing the Tiger Sharks, and I'm taking the position as assistant, mainly because I would have more pool time for my program. Uh, she retired. She retired, and uh, suggested I take or apply for the position. So let me let me let me make a, a strong point. Temple University is an outstanding university, educational wise. It has a great sports program excluding the competitive swimming program. I knew what I was getting into, but also I knew it was an opportunity. Maybe, maybe somewhere along the line for me to be a role model for some other brown or black person who wanted to be a swim coach on the collegiate level. 
Oh, oh, by the way, there were not a lot of people knocking down the doors to be a swimming coach at Temple University, this inner city, this urban school. I'm, 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 I'm repeating myself, but this is important because I want clarity. This inner city school, a lot of qual- there were not many quality folks knocking down the door for that position. So I, I really almost got off by default, although I was highly qualified. That's the way it is sometimes with us of color. I took the position. I stayed there three years, and then I figured I was going to advance. I needed a year off to gather myself, and then I left Temple. Then I went to LaSalle University, where I stayed there for 14 or 15 years, 15 years. Mm -hmm. So that was my uh, run at uh, Temple University. What was it like for you to try and recruit swimmers for your program, especially being a black man in the 80s, going to some young white girl's house to talk to her and her parents about coming to Temple to swim for you, and still later when you coached at La Salle? Right, right. Yeah, great question. Well, <clears throat> unlike those folks who are listening to this, and maybe not on, a, not on the college level, but if you're a swim coach, you would understand, excuse me, recruiting in swimming on the college level is not like a lot of other sports where you make where you make a lot of home home visits. For the sport of swimming, you recruit. Now we're talking in the past. We're not talking now with uh, uh, electrical help like texting and Zoom and those kind of things. So back in my day, you went if you had a recruit in mind, you would go to a YMCA meet or a U.S. swimming, back then it was called AAU, a U.S. swimming meet, or you go to their high school meet, and you would see that individual compete at the facility in their community, if it was like within 100, 100 miles. So I would drive, you know, maybe the longest I would drive would be 60 miles and see a swimmer on a weekend. But that's how we recruited um, our swimmers. We very seldom went to their house. Now, if I had an outstanding swimmer, and I was really, really trying to close a deal. Well, they already knew I was black, <laughs> so I know I had a feel whether I could go, whether I can go to their homes. All right. Now, in terms of recruiting, there's certain criteria that I had for as not to waste my time. Let me say it like that: as not to waste my time. I knew what type of swimmer might come to LaSalle might come to Temple University, matriculated those two schools. Um, I, I had to know what their major was. Academically, we always went academics first. Did LaSalle or did Temple offer the major this young person was interested in, really interested in? Well, how did I know that? Through telephone conversations. Then I needed to know whether they wanted, uh, felt comfortable in an urban school. I don't want to waste their time, nor did I want to waste my time. Did they feel comfortable coming to an urban school? Whether black or brown coach did not come into a verbal effect yet. Um, what type of club, did, swim club, or wide club did they come from? You know, as in a lot of sports, even when my, when my young people were graduating high school, certain people from the schools 
had certain schools they went to. It seemed like everyone was going to go to that school, be it uh, University of Virginia, University of Maryland. I'm talking locally. And like everyone goes to those schools. Well, I knew that from whatever swim club, this young person or the school, that club had a tradition of going away, not coming to Philadelphia. So I had an idea of what type of swimmer I needed to recruit. Part two or part three was um, after I felt comfortable with the young person, felt that I would not be wasting my time, or more importantly, their time, we would host a recruit weekend. This is where I would bring in probably um, probably no more than eight recruits, and they would stay the weekend on campus with one of my with one of my swimmers. I'm gonna go to the end for a moment. On my first class of recruiting at LaSalle University, I recruited from Wisconsin, Florida, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and California. I was successful bringing in kids in because those kids, they didn't mind an urban school. We had to major. Uh, they, they felt comfortable with, comfortable with the team. All right, so let me, so let me go back. So we had the recruiting weekend. Um, my Tiger Sharks sold the program to parents. My Temple and LaSalle athletes sold the programs to recruits and their parents. So let me be specific. So when we had the recruits spend the weekend, they stayed with the swimmer. They got to talk about swimming. They got to talk about the academics. And always, always, the conversation of can I can I make it four years or can I make it period was an African American coach. My swimmers came back and we discussed those kind of concepts. Now remember, all my swimmers at LaSalle and uh, Temple were white, but they had faith in me. They 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 respected me. They felt good about what I was trying to offer. They felt good about my my uh, culture. I needed to say I'm sorry which I neglect to say, the culture of my wife and myself. My wife is always a part of this journey in swimming. I'm going to defer for a moment. In in 20 years, I would suggest to you that my wife, Olivia, only missed 10 swim meets. All right, so I'm sorry. I had to say that. I'm going back. So we got these recruits, and they're on campus talking to the current swimmers. Well, you know, some kind of way it always comes up. Well, you know, I've I've never been around African Americans before, and thus and so, and the conversation was probably a real conversation, and my athletes would tell them how they felt about me as a coach, me as a as a parent, because you know, coach is also a parent for these kids who are, who are away from home. Um, how they felt about me as as a family man, that was never enough, because. Oftentimes, and I don't blame them, oftentimes a recruit would go home to their parent and tell the parent they love LaSalle University, the academic part, and they think they, could, they would love to swim here, and, you know, Malachi's professional, lots and so, and a parent of a recruit. So let me be somewhat specific. So a parent from Wisconsin would call one of my swimmers from upstate Pennsylvania, she's already at LaSalle, and say, well, can I talk to your parents? And the parents would talk about the program, but really they were talking about Malachi. And that was all right. 
That was all right. I know that I had a culture and a product to sell at LaSalle University. I was only a part of that being a person who is black or brown. The real culture was the, the school, swimming program, community, and those kind of things. I, I hope I answered it for you. According to internal research conducted by the NCAA with respect to diversity in the coaching ranks, there have not been a lot of black head coaches or assistant coaches at any level from D1 to the NAIA. In fact, at their height in 2017, there were four black head coaches and 16 black assistant coaches. Coach Cunningham, in your opinion, why are we not getting opportunities to coach at this level? Man, um, <clears throat> it's a hard question. Mathematically, it has to add up, has to work out. Um, let me see here. If we if we field field a hundred black college graduates who are swimming swimmers, only a hundred, maybe ten of them. 100 per year, maybe 10 of these young people will go on to coaching. Of the 10, maybe some of them will go on to the college level. We don't have enough. We don't have a feeder program for swimmers, age group. We don't have a feeder program for college swimmers, and we don't have a feeder program for coaches. I think when the HBCUs dropped swimming, it hurt us in a multiplicity of ways. It hurt us in a multiplicity of ways. I know some other uh, graduates of HBCUs who are now coaching on age group levels, but it's not enough of us, so therefore they have not had the opportunity to move on to college or maybe didn't have the desire to move on to coaches. You know, I know also now that black and brown coaches are usually assistants at large swim clubs, but therefore they're not in the loop to jump from an assistant at a swim club to a college coach, I, 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 hopefully, hopefully I was clear with that. You know, you're not going to be you're not going to be an assistant in a, in a nice big club in Florida, an assistant, not running the whole show, and then another school wants to hire you. Uh, it just ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen to us, us who are who are black and brown. Now, being realistic. It does happen for others, but it does not happen for us. USA Swimming claims that they are trying to be more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. But it seems that this is only from the perspective of the swimmers. How important is it for more black faces to be on the pool deck with a whistle and stopwatch in their hands as opposed to a bathing suit? Boy, I tell you, um, <clears throat> I've been out of U.S. swimming when I was swimming. It's called AAU. Same, same, same uh, municipality, and I'm using the word municipality, national, nationwide. Uh, the swimming world is a municipality. If indeed youngsters mm, don't see representatives in power positions, a coach is a power position, a meet manager is a power position. They don't see themselves in those positions. Therefore, they don't become that feeder program that I spoke about earlier. Everything with us, black and brown folks in that aquatic scene, is about numbers. It, 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 is, it is about numbers. And until we get more bodies 
to 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 be available to go in those directions, we're still going to be where we are. You know, here in Philadelphia, I'm going to change a bit if you don't mind. Here in Philadelphia, 25 years ago, we had about five swimming teams in the inner cities. And at any given time, we had, uh, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, she agrees, we had approximately uh, 300, 400 black and brown and Asian young people swimming here in Philadelphia in these clubs. Now here in Philadelphia, for various reasons, now in Philadelphia, I would say probably about uh, 50 black and brown uh, competitive swimmers age group-wise. So we're going back as opposed to going forward. Economics has a lot to do with it. uh, socioeconomical, uh, it's not the sport for you, has a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, we're, in, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, there we go. Coach Cunningham, you grew up in North Philadelphia. For those that don't know much about it, North Philly used to be, and at times still is, a tough town. Now, I was born in Philly, even though I grew up out here in California. My aunt and uncle, who still live in North Philadelphia, often told me about the overt and covert racism that they encountered in the so-called city of brotherly love. Given that you had a scholarship to an out-of-state college, did you have any desire to put your hometown in your rearview mirror and move on? No, 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 no. Man, um, so many folks had done so much for me in the city of Philadelphia that uh, let me let me do this. I was not idealistic. I was just realistic. I wanted to come back home, raise a family there, and just be a part of it. You see, I thought I had something to offer. It just so happened, it so happened that it was in the field of aquatics. Had it not been in the aquatics, it might have been chess. It might have been music. But I had something to offer, and I was coming home coming home where my folks, to say grammatically incorrect, where my folks were. My wife was the same. She was from Charleston, South Carolina, came home. We took to the same NCD high school, Strawberry Mansion, and we saw those kids in the hallways who, who needed some direction, who needed some activity. And I was, you know, I'm Philadelphia man, and I love going away to South Carolina State. I, I told you what I got out of there, wife and education and all, but I, I was of the impression that uh, as a black man, a man of color, maybe I could come back and do something here in my, my south, my city of Philadelphia. You know, I didn't want to complain about it unless I did something about it. And finally, you recently celebrated your 75th birthday, and amongst those that celebrated with you were your family, former assistants, and swimmers. Can you tell us about this special occasion and what advice would you give in particular to young coaches like myself? Okay. I'm going I'm, to I'm I'm throw, throw a wrench in your question. I'm going to go to the end. I always say this. My wife says why I do I'm going to go to the end before I answer the question. For you, young, because you helped me with this, for you young coaches, I offer this to you. I offer this very important advice. Make sure that your children – and your family know they are number one. Make sure they know they're number one. 
listen, please make sure they know this. My wife, Olivia, who I said missed one, missed 10 meets in 20 years, and my son, Damon, my son, daughter, my daughter, Stacy, they know they are number one. They shared me. They shared me with the aquatic, with the aquatic community. All right, now, I'm sorry, but I thought that was important because you said some young folks are listening. I hope they got that. I hope they got that. Uh, I found it to be a very rewarding, man, you know, I didn't realize I had done so much in terms of not disimpacting people, but my day-to-day was crazy. My day was I was a swim coach in the morning, uh, 5.30 to 7. I taught school all day, then I went back 20 years. Black and brown people, that's what we do. We don't have no luxury. <laughs> I'm throwing the question off. I'm sorry. We don't have the luxury of coaching in the morning, going home, drinking coffee, and come back. We do what we do. But going back to my young people, I've always tried to be a team builder, and I feel good that the interaction of all these folks, these black and brown and white swimmers from LaSalle, Temple, and Tiger Sharks, ranging in age from 23 to 63, got together, worked together to do this. Tiger Sharks knew some of the temple. Tiger Sharks did not know the LaSalle people. LaSalle people did not know Tiger Sharks. Tiger Sharks, LaSalle didn't know temple. And these folks, they got committees, and they got together, and they they do this. Another point was I was very much rewarded when I saw the celebration of Eastbrook each person's face because in the zoom each person's face had a story for me had a story for me of struggle or survival of of just doing a good job sometimes it was defeat and each person it was just rewarding for me to see where they are now you see i also realized that not only did they celebrate my birthday they celebrated one another and that was so, so 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 very important. So very important. Um, I know we try to we strive to develop uh, championship people, championship swimmers, but I, I I think that our program, our culture, I used to tell them this culture thing, our culture, um, we developed some championship people because it was not only about swimming. And I say this to to young coaches who are, who may be listening, you get a chance to hear this. Man, men and women, coaches, don't give up on the kid. Do not do not give up on a young person, one of your athletes, because you don't know how long it's going to take. You got to be patient. You got to be patient. Um, I had some swimmers, Anthony Moore, my top kid, two um, junior nationals, and a record at LaSalle University, his freshman year, poor record. He was a late bloomer. He came in in an eighth grade, which is late, eighth grade, late for swimming. We know this. And by the time he was in the 10th grade, he was all right. By the time he was a senior, he was making junior nationals and setting all kind of poor records and going down to Duke University, one of uh, 14, I'm sorry, yeah, 15 black kids in the whole meet. And he went down to Duke University and won the high point. So I didn't give up on Anthony, and Anthony didn't give up on Anthony. Although he left the program once or twice, we let him back, talked to him, because he helped to get his hair right. He helped get my hair right. You have to be patient. Think about the individual. Be patient. Think about late bloomers. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to do it. You got to, um, I'm just talking a little crazy now, but that's all right. You have to set your program up for, for everyone. I keep telling you that my swimmers endorse me because they know I endorse them. One of my swimmers, her name is Lori King. She's a marathon swimmer right now over in the East, in the East Coast. She was not the best swimmer on my team. She very, LSL. She probably in four years didn't score 20 points. She wrote an article about her years at LaSalle, and which, which made me feel very good is that she said, I treated her like a scorer, like she scored. And hopefully we treat everyone like they're scorers, because they are ours. Um, for, 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 for you young coaches, I urge you to have to work hard to have your school boards and your rec departments to work together to build year-round swimming programs. You need a feeder program. You need a feeder program. That's what it is. Our guest today has been legendary swim coach Malachi Cunningham, founder of the St. Joseph's Tiger Shark Swim Club, former head coach of Temple University and LaSalle University's women's swim teams, and former elite-level age group swimmer and multi-medal winning swimmer of South Carolina State swim team who recently celebrated his 75th birthday, and we wish him many more. Coach Cunningham, we wish you and your family the very best of health during these challenging times in our country, and thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Well, well we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, uh, it's outstanding. You motivated me, and I know you're motivating those who are still in the field. Thank you very much. At the time of this recording, 198 Gazans, including 58 children, and 34 women have been killed. Amongst the Israelis, 10 people have died, including two children. During the past week, Israeli incursions into the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and raids on the occupied East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah continued, while a brutal Israeli military offensive on the blockaded Gaza Strip continues unabated. But an extraordinary phenomenon has also taken root inside Israel, where thousands of Palestinian citizens in towns, villages, and so-called mixed cities have taken to the streets to assert their identity while living in a self-defined Jewish state. Add to this, Americans who were once considered automatic allies of Israel are speaking out. Members of Congress have thrown their hats into the ring, demanding justice for Palestinians. Even the sports world has entered into the fray. Superstars such as Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard of the NBA have boldly taken a stand on the side of the oppressed in Gaza and the West Bank. Other athletes from the U.S. and overseas are also speaking out. Although the phrase, sports and politics don't mix, is used by Israeli apologists and conservative sports columnists to quiet athletic dissent. The reality is very different. It's not that sports and politics don't mix to these folks. It's that a certain kind of politics don't mix. The truth is that sports and the athletes that play them are a microcosm of the changing landscape of not only this country, but also the world. 
we here at the Black Swim Collective stand in solidarity with our Palestinian sisters and brothers. We stand with their Israeli and international allies who condemn this siege in particular and the occupation in general. To those who say that we ought not to weigh into this political arena, that we are somehow anti-Semitic, or to co-op a phrase, just shut up and swim, we say, do not confuse dissent with disloyalty. Do not believe the false narrative that says an athlete has no right to comment on things outside the pool, court, pitch, or track. We are here. We have seen, and we will not be silent. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.